Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. So Jay, I tried not to take offense when you asked me quite directly, do you want to do an episode on Keep It Simple Stupid? <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't sure where the comma was in that Yeah, sentence. I was gonna say I think the comma was after simple, but I didn't intend it. It might have come off that way, but it was it was literally intended as the acronym, Tom. Yeah. I, was well, blowing, I was blowing you a kiss. How about that? Okay, yeah, all right, good. Well, you're right in my wheelhouse with the with the stupid part. So and keeping it simple, that seems to be my foray. But uh before we dive in, we got to uh, do our new uh, our new routine here, which is the underrated, overrated, and I think you're up to stump me. I am. All right. So here's one uh, just to throw at you, and this relates to something that I've been doing. So I'm I'm kind of wondering whether you're going to tell me it's a waste of time or not. <laughs> but um, I a, a few weeks back I started. Well, by the time, well, yeah, it'll be a few weeks, but it, you know this episode is running shortly. Um, I I started writing. A handwritten note every day. So it was a daily challenge I set for myself. Um, I wanted to just do something different, change it up. And I, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten some value out of it. If not, you know, actual work coming in or anything like that, that really wasn't the intention. It was more the exercise of, you know, the ability to uh, express gratitude, that kind of thing, and just touch base with people. So my question for you, in your opinion, um, is, Marketing or communication via snail mail, you know, in this digital age we're in, overrated or underrated? Hmm, yes. And you're, what you're doing is a single note to a different person every day. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Not just you every day, but. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I was going to say, I've only gotten one so far. <laughs> um, I'm going to say underrated. And I think I somewhat show my age when I, you know, think back to when digital communication even became possible. So that may predate some of our listeners, but I was in, you were too, were in an office where everything was via snail mail. And then I remember about 1993 or four email came into the workplace and it was great. And this is going to change everything, which of course it did, but uh, you know, this allowed us to get directly right to the end user and it was instantaneous and there was no postage to consider. So, you know, back before then though, I remember everyone hated opening the regular mail because it was stuffed with garbage. There was all sorts of circulars and postcards and half of the mail was junk mail. Um, and so when you got it, electronic email that was novel and i feel like we've gone almost completely full circle back to and they now where all the junk is in our inbox our email inbox and i think most people hate opening their email because all it means is work to them and it's not fun so when you get something novel in the snail mail then this could be a handwritten note or it could be you know a, a marketing package probably something more than a postcard is going to be effective i think that becomes you know a, a an interruption or disruption of a normal pattern. And I look forward to opening stuff like that now. So full circle. So to me, it's underrated because it's what we aren't doing. It's so easy just to fire off an email or a text nowadays, or do a mass communications through a MailChimp or something like that, or through social media that uh, it takes a special art and it actually takes some time. And for you, it took a daily commitment to doing something like this. So underrated. And I think people should be doing more of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it is underrated. And I think that, you know, if you think about the 
one of the principles of marketing, it's that you should be trying to stand out in places that aren't overly crowded or noisy. And certainly your, your literal mailbox as opposed to your email inbox is a place where that's, that's the case. And I think you know, there's, there's some merit in trying to be that contrarian marketer where you know, you're, you're thinking about zigging when everyone else is zagging and kind of beating people to the punch uh, in doing the opposite of what many people think is sort of standard practice or best practice these days. So yeah, I think, I think there's an opportunity there uh, via mail in order to reach people. Yeah. Isn't that known as the blue water strategy as opposed to the red water strategy? So I think it's, yeah, the blue, blue ocean. I blue ocean. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So, that's- so the red water is where all the blood is. That's where all the sharks are fishing. And yeah. so you want to be in that, that blue ocean where, where nobody is and you can exactly. stand out. Yep. Yeah. Great. Well, I probably should have kept that analogy simple because I overthought it and I got it wrong. So let's uh, dive into our topic today. So regardless of where you put the comma, what did you mean by you want to keep it simple, stupid, stupid? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so basically it's this idea, you know, I think that because of, you know, there's so much information out there, there's so many conflicting opinions, there's so many opportunities to market. I think it could be overwhelming for lawyers to know where to go, what to do, and how to stand out. And, and I should say that I think what we're talking about in today's episode is really one's individual approach to marketing as opposed to a law firm's approach to marketing. Now, granted, I think many law firms need to keep it simple as well, um, simpler than they are doing. And so I think a lot of these principles that we'll talk about today apply, whether you're an individual or a firm. But certainly when it comes down to individuals, uh, individual lawyers who are pressed for time, you know, who this is not the, the main part of their job. A, a keep it simple approach is, is definitely called for um, because like I said, there's just so many, so many options. There's, there's email, there's advertising, there's search, there's social media. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And if you're not keeping it simple, there's a good chance that, you know, you might start you bounce from idea to idea or platform to platform. You never really have a chance to gain traction. There's so much to know. These all of these channels are changing, you know, overnight practically. It's going to be very hard to become good at something, and and that just makes uh, you know the the objective or the the idea of keeping it simple really important because it's it's the very thing that's going to allow you to at least gain some traction uh, with your marketing as opposed to spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, for sure. Well, even within social media, which was just one of the bullet points that you mentioned, there's, you know, how many sub bullet points there where you can stretch yourself so thin. And I know we'll, we'll get to that, I'm, I'm sure, but if you can't even be on every social network you want to, even if you said, I'm only going to do social media marketing. I mean, I don't think you can have the time or the attention on, I mean, how many high level platforms are there now? Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, there's Instagram, there's now Clubhouse. There's TikTok potentially, depending on who your market is. Yep. Um, I mean, I've only, those are just like the big ones, but mm-hmm. there are several others. So you can't do it all. And one of our, our prior guests whose episode hasn't aired yet, but she referenced the term, which I love, the acronym FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And I think sometimes that drives some of this. I'd be curious what you think are some of the drivers that make people think they got to be everywhere and, and do everything. And this idea that if you get caught up with, I might miss an opportunity or there might be some important conversation ha- conversation happening over there that I have to be at, that remind you that that is a decision to take your attention and time away from something else. 
So yep. it's not like you're doing everything. It's you're deciding to not do this, to do that instead. Right. Right. Yeah. I do think a big part of it is fear of missing out. And, and it, that leads to uh, a misconception that, you know, the more, the more place, the more boxes you're checking, essentially, the more attention or more effective your marketing will be. And I think that's just, that's just the wrong approach, a wrong way to think about it. I mean, being on even, even being on page three of Google, which is extremely hard to do for any, you know, meaningful search term these days means you're practically invisible. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not even on the radar screen. And that's, if, if you were on page three, like that, that ostensibly is a huge win, but it still makes you virtually invisible. And, and the same thing goes for um, other platforms as well. I mean, you can, you can tweet three times a week, but what's that going to get you? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Unless you're already famous like it's not a way to gain traction and gain a following because you're simply not being consistent enough on the platform. Just because you're there doesn't mean you're visible. And just because you're checking more boxes doesn't mean your marketing is effective. And, and I think that that leads to, or, or relates to another misconception that I, that I see. And I wrote about this the other day, which is that I think sometimes people perceive marketing as like a, a thing, as opposed to thinking of it in terms of, it's many different things. There's many different layers to it. It would be like the analogy I drew was like saying marketing is a skill is like saying sports is a skill, right? <laughs> where, where, you know, any successful athlete is, is almost certain to have above average athleticism, but they're not applying that athleticism across a bunch of different sports. You know, they're not playing tennis and basketball and swimming like at a high level, they're doing one of those things. And even in that case, they probably have one skill within that domain that really is allowing them to stand out, whether that be, you know, a great backstroke or a wicked serve, or, you know, in, in, in the case of say basketball, like a turnaround jumper, that's their, their key move that they're using. And that's what's allowing them to be successful at what they're doing. And the same goes for marketing. Like you, you don't, you know, it's not about, um, being good at everything, odds are you're not going to be the Michael Phelps of marketing where you master every stroke. And you don't need to because being good at butterfly is enough to win a gold medal. So that's what I think the keep it simple approach is all about, which is really understand what you do well, what you enjoy doing, what you have aptitude for, and lean into that. Because if you try to be everywhere doing everything, it's just going to, it's just going to lead to a loss of momentum and, and very little attention or visibility. Right. Yep. Yeah. Without naming names, I, I volunteer for a nonprofit and, you know, because we're all volunteers, we are just giving of our free time basically to make this thing happen. And because I'm supposedly the marketing expert in the room, they ask me, you know, okay, all right. So we're on Facebook and we're going to be on LinkedIn and we're going to be on Twitter. What should our um, Instagram strategy be? Right. And I said, well, raise your hand if you have time to do Instagram and no hands went up. I said, raise your hand if you think you're good at Instagram. No hands went up. I said, well, there's our Instagram strategy. Stay off of it. Because we yep. just don't have, I mean, that's the pretend you're a volunteer, which a lot of attorneys are when they're doing their own business development. They're trying to find their free time to, you know, devote or make time to, to commit to business development. And it's tough. You don't have unlimited resources. So you got to make decisions. You got to make trade-offs. And that's an easy way to do it. Like you said, I was going to ask you, you know, what are some of the tricks to identifying then if I, if I can't do everything, what should I do? And you mentioned him in my little anecdote, I, you know, I, I called on a couple. So the things that you're good at, 
in the things that you have time to do and the things probably that you want to do, the things that give you energy as opposed to drain your energy. Is that a yeah. good place to start? Yeah, it's a good place to start. And then I think that leads into kind of one other um, sort of mental model to use to think about some of these things, which which gets back to, you know, usually the, the core principle of, of everything we recommend as it relates to our marketing, which is, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, let's say you got a blank slate or a blank, blank whiteboard, and you're trying to figure out, okay, where, okay, I get the idea, I'm not supposed to do everything, but, but then what should I do? It's a right. natural next question. Well, that starts with really understanding who your audience is, right? Um, you, you, don't, you won't know where to go, where to devote your attention and energy towards if you don't know where your audience is. So it doesn't do you any good if you're mastering, you know, search engine marketing or optimization, if, you know, your clientele isn't using that channel to find people like you. So it doesn't, it's kind of irrelevant. You might be great at it, but it's not relevant if your audience isn't using search to find people or products like yours. Um, so define your audience. Second, try to understand what they want. Again, like thinking about how do I become not just not just understand where my audience is, but what do they want? So there's the um, the ability to immerse yourself in a com marketing conversation with uh, in an environment where your audience is spending its time and attention. And then it's the ability to deliver content of whatever form that might be, whether that's, you know, your thought leadership, or maybe in this case, you're, you're using more of a, um, you know, investment strategy around buying media and deliver either way, you're delivering messages, you're delivering some form of content to that audience. And that should be serving the purpose of solving a problem, or at least identifying that you capable of solving the problem for that audience. So find where they are, and then figure out what they want. And that should be Kind of defining what your your marketing strategy is. So in the case, you know, in, in our case, like for example, with our business, um, our audience is lawyers. Lawyers spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Lawyers like to consume content about how to build their practice. That's the content we deliver on LinkedIn. It's pretty simple. Um, we do other things as well. Obviously, we do this podcast, but LinkedIn really is our hub. And then we have other channels that we own that we've built that are the spokes off of that hub, but it all starts on LinkedIn, right? I mean, that's the keep it simple approach where everything we do starts on LinkedIn and then we look for opportunities to expand from there. Mm -hmm. And what again is our Instagram strategy? Yeah, right. Stay <laughs> off of it. Right. Yeah. Well, to a and, certain degree. And Facebook and Twitter. I mean, we have... we. We have like a company page on Facebook. Um, we, I think both of us have, in, but we don't use Facebook for our, our business, really. I mean, occasionally, right. like if I've released a book and I feel like I want to get the word out, I'll, I'll post on Facebook. But that means I post on Facebook like once a year. So I'm not using it uh, because I just don't, I don't understand it really. I, I feel like I understand LinkedIn very well. I post there every day. You do too, um, mm -hmm. in terms of just understanding how to use the platform and what people want. And we, we just can't have that deep understanding, I think, if we were spreading ourselves too thin. But sorry, Tom, I, I cut in and go. No, you, you're exactly saying what I was going to say, which is the you got to match the platform, too, to the audience in the, the sort of the platform. Um, 
you know, just kind of its its temperament. And I used to do these trainings where people didn't know Facebook from LinkedIn, from Twitter to begin with. So I would say, you know, think of Facebook as like a backyard barbecue, right? It's mostly friends and family and you get together. And this is before politics kind of infested the entire thing. But it was, you know, what do you talk about? You talk about the kids and you show pictures of the kids and you talk about whatever. Is it appropriate then to, you know, wheel in a set of encyclopedias and say, okay, who wants to buy something? You just wouldn't do that. And whereas I thought LinkedIn was more of a business to business networking event where you go, you show up, you hopefully have meaningful conversations. Maybe you exchange a business card and you hope that uh, uh, you'll run into someone that you can meet offline and then have a meaningful relationship. And it's very professional and you wouldn't necessarily show pictures of your kids or probably hopefully talk politics on, on LinkedIn. I said Twitter then is more like the frat party where if you ever walked into a frat party, it's so noisy you have to scream to be heard. And really the only way you're truly going to have a real conversation is to get the person you want to talk to out into a quiet room. So probably off of Twitter. So I decided recently that I don't think I could do an effective job of being a legal marketing expert on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so I've compartmentalized along those lines. Like when I'm talking about stuff that's related to my profession, I'm doing it on LinkedIn. Less so on Twitter nowadays. I used to always do it on Twitter because I figured, well, what the heck? It's it's Twitter. Right? I'll just add yeah. to the noise. I realized there's lawyers on LinkedIn and there's legal marketers on LinkedIn, or I'm sorry, on Twitter, but I don't really feel like I'm connecting with them on that platform. So I decided, you know what? That's a place for me to explore my interests and that's fine. You know, my personal interests and Facebook, I'll connect with family and friends. And, you know, so the point I'm making is you don't have to do everything on every platform. So it's not like copy and paste. I put this on LinkedIn, so I'm going to copy it and paste it on Facebook. And then I'm going to paste it on Twitter. And then I'm going to paste it on Instagram. I don't even know if that would work, but anyway, so that was the point I wanted to make is that there's, you could compartmentalize by matching the medium to the audience into your own, like, what are you trying to get out of it? Question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and to make clear when we, you know, if we circle back to the point we made about, you know, what do you have aptitude for? What do you enjoy doing? You know, we're using LinkedIn as an example. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, you could have a webinar strategy and do great. Right. You know, you could have a public speaking strategy and, and do well. You could just network a ton. You don't even need to do marketing in the traditional sense if you're willing to pick up the phone and touch base with your clients and referral sources and prospects every day. But, you know, the 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 idea that you can do all of that and and be successful just cuts against, you know, all logic in the sense that lawyers struggle to do marketing and business development of any sort on a daily basis, even right. a weekly basis. So why, why try to focus on developing a comp- comprehensive multi-channel marketing approach when you can, you can do plenty well and probably a heck of a lot better than you're already doing by just like trying to dominate or be really good at one, one marketplace or one channel that, that you could, uh, you know, you could really lean into. Well, even the great Seth Godin himself, who I think many people would regard as a marketing guru, that's probably not enough of a descriptor to capture his value. But he for years said, I'm not on Twitter. If I can't do it well and I don't have the time, it doesn't match my interest. What would I be doing on Twitter? And I've been telling people that story. I told it again recently last week. And I said, oh, wait, I better go check and make sure he's not on Twitter. So I go and I check. Sure enough, he's still he's got uh, an account that just puts all of his blog posts out. Mm -hmm. And then he's got another account that's him that he says, I do not use Twitter. But if you want to follow me, here's the other account. So it's okay for him to do it. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves to say, 
who I'm, I would not consider myself a world famous marketing guru, but I, I'm going to do what Seth does. And that's going to stick to what I know and stick to what I, I could do. And to your point, a busy attorney who has limited time and resources needs to stick to probably one thing. And if I could just give you one other analogy before I turn it back over to you, I had a client that was uh, used to study how advertising works and they were sort of an advertising consultant and they would frequently get asked the question, okay, we have $50,000 to spend. There's three adult contemporary radio stations in the market that we want to penetrate. How would you divide that 53, that 50,000 between the three? And they'd almost always say, you don't divide it. You focus, you kill one of those stations and you're repetitive and you're consistent and you're reinforcing with that same exact audience. And then you'll get, you're going to apply the math to some percentage of that audience is going to, is going to hear it and it'll be effective. If you spread it across three, nobody's going to hear it and nobody's. Right. So you think you're doing more, but you're actually doing less. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally see that. And then, you know, in that case, the first question would be, well, you know, what are the demographics of each station's audience? Because that's what you really want to know, right? Getting back right. to this idea of understand your audience and you you put it into the one that has your audience. Um, yeah, no, I love the Seth Godin example. Um, and I he's also not on LinkedIn. He's really not on any social media. He he uh, you know, as we as we all know, or those of us who know Seth Godin know, he's he writes a blog post every day. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. He's he's approaching eight thousand consecutive days of writing blog posts and wow. it's pretty, pretty remarkable. He also has a podcast. Um, but you know, the thing, Oh, it, one quick anecdote. He does respond to email though. I've emailed him before <laughs> and he emailed me back in like, I don't know, 15 seconds. Pretty remarkable. Wow. So, yeah. 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 And he does, he does welcome email. I know that. Um, but, but here's the thing, I mean, and here's what I, here's a point I wanted to make. And that was a perfect segue bringing it up Seth Godin, because what he, what I've heard him speak about is, um, the idea that, you know, when he, what makes it easier for him to be comfortable with and keep up that consistent effort as it relates to his blogging and his podcasting is that he creates boundaries for himself. Like he makes a decision that he's not going to be on social media once and he, and he puts that aside and that allows him to pour more of that mental energy into the work he is doing, which makes him super successful. His blog is read by hundreds of thousands of people a day, I think. Um, and, and I think that's how, you know, that's sort of the, again, talking about mental models, um, where if we make a commitment to do something and, and sort of close other doors, it allows us to be more consistent, and more effective at what we're doing. I mean, I, I wrote about this uh, on LinkedIn today as well, which was you know, back in October is when I committed to writing a daily post on LinkedIn. And before that, I was, I would call, I'll call myself active on LinkedIn, but it was much harder to come up with content to write about because you know, every day you're confronted with the decision of, should I post on LinkedIn? If, if so, what am I gonna post about? Oh, you know what, maybe I'll have a better idea tomorrow, so I'll just not do it today. Like you go through these mental exercises with yourself and, and it's so easy. I'm a, I'm a poor negotiator with myself. And as a result of that, it's very easy for me to talk myself out of doing something unless I make a firm commitment to do it. Like I, 99% for me typically is not enough. Like I'll, I'll do the thing that, you know, I said I wasn't going to do if I leave myself any wiggle room. I think that's true for a lot of people where it's like, once you make that commitment, both to yourself and your audience, it's like, you feel that you know need to do the thing, and and if it's a thing that's going to positively impact your practice, well then you can't help but benefit as a result of that. So I do think that that thinking about like all right, once I've once I've narrowed things down to you know an approach that I think can be effective for myself, 
you know, making that one and done decision where it's like, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, that's going to lead to dramatically more results, positive results than if you leave all these doors open and twist yourself into knots, trying to figure out what am I going to do on any given day? It's like, no, set aside 30 minutes and you do your thing. And that's a heck of a lot better than doing nothing. Yeah. And in terms of holding yourself accountable, I've seen you often then announce it publicly in order so that somebody like me or somebody yep. will say, wait, wait a minute. You said you were going to do this. Um, so I'm now just, you have, I'm just virtue signaling Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, but again, you were taking or humble another... bragging or whatever you want to call yeah, it. That could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but no, it's a, true. It's true. There, I think there's a practical equivalent to the announcing it to the world thing. And that is writing it down. Um, yeah. So you know, a lot of lawyers don't write down their marketing plans. So the first step could be, here's what I'm committing to writing it down and, and having that on a desk, staring you at the face because or staring you in the face, because that's what's been keeping you accountable, the back of your head, knowing that you said, I'm going to do this. I said it publicly. There's a little bit of shame and not follow, following through. Mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me of the comment I put on your post is that I've told the story before about that. I have a friend who woke up one day and literally said out loud to somebody in the room, I'm a runner. And she had never ran and she was a smoker and I, don't, I think she was a yeah. drinker and she, you know, didn't have a diet, you know, that was conducive to running. But that one decision then made all of the other decisions in her daily routine, no brainers. Like, should I smoke the cigarette? Well, do runners smoke? Should I have, should I keep drinking every night? Do runners do that? What should I eat? Well, what do runners eat? So mm -hmm. it's a similar thing. So going back to how does a, an attorney who's busy apply this to their marketing is at the top of a piece of paper, commit to something and make the announcement. Right. I'm going to yep. commit to a daily LinkedIn post or whatever the equivalent might be. But you got to announce it to the world. And I think you got to make that announcement more than just a promise to yourself. I don't think you're the only one who's bad at negotiating with oneself. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, if you give yourself an out, nobody knows if you made a secret promise to yourself, but you make it publicly. And now you got to kind of you got to yeah. follow through. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. You feel an obligation. And you're right. You're totally right, Tom, about the idea of you know, making that pronouncement. I do think that our actions tend to follow our identities. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have to sort of believe we are something before we'll act, start acting in accordance with that identity. And, and so that's really important. And, and definitely making, holding yourself accountable by your public pronouncements. That's one way we all know that that, that works. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. Writing things down is key. There's, there's studies that show that, you know, I think for with goal setting in particular, it's like if you write down your goals as opposed to just having them in your head, you're like 40, 40 or fifty percent more likely to to stick to whatever it is that you you know is your objective. So that's that's critical in this whole process. And just one other quick thought or idea on that is to have what's known as an accountability partner. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just a friend or maybe it's a colleague or maybe it's a spouse, whatever it might be. I would suggest maybe a coach. So that you, you know, that's why people hire personal trainers, right? Is that person's going to make me, not only do they have the domain expertise to tell me what I should do, but I know that person's going to guilt me into doing it. And that's a huge uh, hurdle to overcome when it comes to exercise. And this is no different. So maybe you have a coach, you call a coach and say, here's what I want to do. Will you hold me accountable to this and show me how to do it? And then that way, you know, you're going to be paying someone potentially. Maybe you get someone to do it for free, but then that's right built it. You're baking the success into the outcome that way. So uh, yeah. don't rely, I guess the moral of the story is don't just rely on yourself to, you know, stick to your intuition to, uh, or stick to your, your promise. I'm going to quit smoking today, or I'm going to start exercising today because we all know how that turns out. Yeah, for sure. And, and the one other, uh, one other example of, of a way to kind of, 
keep keep the streak going. I, I like to think of these things as streaks. And once you get enough days behind you, it's like you won't want to quit. Is there's that old story about Jerry Seinfeld when he was a young comedian and he, he knew to be successful, the one thing he needed to do every day was write, right? He needed to write jokes and, and that, was, that was the key thing. It, didn't, it wasn't about like being on social media and, and gaining more attention for himself. He needed to write great jokes. So that was the thing he prioritized. And, and so he created a streak and he had a big wall calendar up on his wall. And every day he wrote, he would put a big red X in it. And, and he called it um, a chain. And he said, once I got enough days behind me, I never wanted to break the chain. And he didn't. So whatever the accountability mechanism is. Um, well, it just, there's another point that you always make is that he didn't commit to, he didn't make a resolution based on a desired outcome. He made a resolution based on a specific activity that he could control. He didn't yep. say I have to write killer jokes every day. It's just, I have to write every day. And eventually you do it enough, the killer jokes come and the bad ones kind of fall away. So same, same principle. And I was going to ask you, speaking of streaks, is the uh, the note writing that you're doing? Is that a streak? And how long are you endeavoring to commit to it? Uh, that I that is a streak. I I said 365 days. So there oh. we go. I've uh, I've made a public pronouncement. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I kind of so, tricked you into that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I figure. Well, I I think I'm I think I'm like two and a half three weeks in now. So whatever. I'm getting to the point where the the problem is it's. You know, LinkedIn's easy because LinkedIn is like, it's like one of those addictive activities where I know I'm going on LinkedIn at some point every day, right? And that'll be a prompt for me to, uh, and now it's like, I know it's sort of one of the first things I do every day is put my post up. Um, the note writing, I've got a stack. I have to put them right on my desk, like a stack of note cards, because that that prompts me to, to remember to do it. But um, it doesn't take long. It's like five minutes, but there isn't that, you know, there's that pull of like some some platform that you're you're semi addicted to where you're going on yeah. one way or the other um, to to remind you to do the activity. So so that one's taking a little bit more, I guess, willpower and putting some other things like a daily calendar reminder in place for myself, because especially on a weekend, it's easy for me to forget to write a note if I don't, you know, again, create that accountability. So you don't take weekends off. You're like the uh, power trainer. No, no, I, uh, weekends, weekends on for LinkedIn and note writing, but again, I don't, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's 20 minutes. Um, and the note writing in particular, uh, I use it for me so far. It's been, um, I, you know, you don't get immediate feedback. I have gotten some feedback from people. Uh, I think partly it's like, takes a, I'm sending it to many people's offices cause I don't have home ad addresses obviously. So I'm guessing that a lot of people haven't received them or they just don't care and haven't gotten back to me. Um, but but, uh, you know, it's very, uh, it's rewarding writing the notes. You know what I mean? Like that, even if I get no feedback from anyone or nothing beneficial comes of this, it ha there is something beneficial because it's a, to me, it's like a, a rewarding exercise in itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I guess mine got caught in the mail too. So even, <laughs> even though I have no office, but I'll wait, I'll be patient. Even yep. if I'm 364 or 365, I'll be yeah. happy to get one. From you. We'll see. I've run through my entire Rolodex. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Nixon's getting yeah. one. Yeah. All right. Good. Cool. Are there any specific takeaways? I mean, we've recited a couple things or anything that you would direct people to, um, you know, it's good to walk away with, okay. I believe what they're saying. Now I'm going to do it. What, what, what do you have in mind in terms of, is there some reading yeah. you would recommend or? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there, if I have any specific reading. Well, one thing I would say this, this is a, a drum that Seth Godin beats quite a bit. Um, so he, his new book, I think, yeah, his new book is called the practice. 
Um, and I've been reading it a bit, but I've heard him more talk about the book uh, on various podcasts. And he, he talks about these concepts. So I would say search out Seth Godin and his content, because I think it'll reinforce a lot of what we're saying, because we're, we're borrowing a lot of it from him in the first place, because he's <laughs> the master at this stuff. Um, so I would say that. Um, and then as far as takeaways, you know, it really, yeah, we'll just come back to the point of, you know, where, where, if you want to keep it simple, understand where your audience is, um, understand and appreciate that if you find one place that your audience is spending its time and attention, that can be the only place that you focus your energy from a marketing standpoint. And the more that you devote yourself to one activity, let's say writing on LinkedIn or podcasting or whatever, the better you're going to get at it. And the, the ability to be really good, um, there's, there's this concept called cumulative advantage where you know, those at the top uh, who have like significant skill in any one domain, it's not just a, like a minor advantage. Like the, those at the top get what's called a cumulative advantage. That's why it's so important for a movie to open well you know, on a Friday night or a, a book to hit the New York Times bestseller list. It sort of plays on this whole notion of the bandwagon effect where people, they like to make decisions that are consistent with what decisions other people are making. So if you can get really good at something and be attention worthy, then you can really significantly gain a big advantage, one that you'll never gain from a marketing standpoint, again, if you're spreading yourself too thin. Yep. Yep. And uh, I guess to keep that whole thing simple, stupid would just be go where the energy takes you to and don't force yourself. You know, you made this point, but just to reiterate it, you know, if you're not a good public speaker, don't force yourself into becoming a public speaker. Yeah. Um, you might be a great writer and, mm -hmm. or, you know, I have a, a client who just loves to podcast and just keep focusing on podcasting because that's where the energy will be. And that makes it easier to commit to something. Right. So my friend who loves running now loves running. So it's not a, a, a big pull for her to do it. So, and you love LinkedIn. So. It's yep. easy for you to be on LinkedIn. Yep, addicted. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Um, good. Well, check us out at uh, thethoughtleadershipproject.com. We will uh, put show notes uh, and put links to the books and the other things that we reference. And until then, Jay, um, good luck with your daily commitments, LinkedIn and your daily notes. Thank you, Tom. Hold me accountable, please. Will do. See everyone next time on the Thought Leadership Project. Thank you for listening to The Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.